With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Are you ready? To First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're a lying dog faced pony soldier. Call 866 Hey Lars. That's 866 Hey Lars. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. Friday. This is. This is. First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. They're not going to see much higher gas prices, maybe even lower than they are today. Pennies. We're talking about pennies, potentially. And is Governor Jay Inslee, and thank goodness he's in his final term as governor because his lies have become very old and very, very expensive. And they're now being called out. And I'll give full credit to some of the people who are doing exactly that. First, welcome to First Amendment Friday. I'll get to your phone calls here in just a moment. But I want to talk about Jay Inslee. Because Jay Inslee and the government that operates under him, because he is the chief executive of Washington State, has been lying to the public about the carbon tax and about the effect that carbon tax is having on gasoline and diesel and propane and natural gas. And in fact, it's benefiting the state of Washington, which has now collected far more money than the state ever expected to get from this carbon tax. And by the way, the purpose of the carbon tax, ostensibly, was supposed to be to reduce CO2 going into the air. It's not doing a damn thing about that. But what it is doing is it's sucking dry the pockets of so many people in Washington State or people who buy their gas in Washington State. And remember that soundbite. That was Jay Inslee from a bit ago saying, oh, it'll be maybe pennies. In fact, the carbon tax, Jay Inslee literally said, might actually make gasoline less expensive. Now, I don't know what alternative universe Governor Jay Inslee lives in, but since when does a tax on a major business ever end up making something less expensive instead of more expensive? Let me get into some of the sound bites in here in just a moment, and we'll talk about what Jay Inslee knew one decade ago about what that carbon tax would do and the lies he told to the public. First, welcome to First Amendment Friday. If you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. If you're a naysayer, we put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our Twitter poll. We put up a brand new poll on X, the new Twitter. Uh, if you were on a jury, would you convict a father for shooting a man who beat his daughter? 
It happened in Illinois. And in fact, the man is going to be on trial. Uh, he, his daughter came home at 2.30 in the morning. She showed signs of having been beaten. So dad went out searching for the guy who did it and shot him. Now, the guy didn't die. Uh, then apparently a friend of the guy who got shot shot the dad. So they both ended up wounded. But at this point, I know that many of you might say what I've said for a long, long time. And that is you don't take the law into your own hands. And I would add the caveat to that, unless you've got no choice. And I would merely ask you, do you think we're getting to the point in America where when we have defunded police who have their hands tied by politicians saying you can't do your job, you can't arrest the bad guys. And even if you do, the local prosecutor with uh, elected uh, to his office with the help of George Soros or other liberals has decided he won't prosecute. And even if he prosecutes, the courts won't convict. Where is our government and our so-called justice system leaving citizens? You're left with a choice. The people who are supposed to do the job of controlling criminal behavior and going after the people who do this kind of thing, uh, they're simply being told they either won't do their job or can't do their job, and you're not allowed to do it either. Now, is that what you would do if you were sitting on the jury? As this guy comes up for trial, would you convict a father for shooting the man who beat his daughter? You can find the poll on X at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com on our website. It's always brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, let me get back to Jay Inslee. This is what Jay Inslee said. He was being questioned in a, an event that was put on to help say this is what's coming up in the Washington State Legislature. And I'll give full credit to Brandy Cruz, who's a great journalist. And she was questioning him about what he knew that his own experts, including a guy, a top policy advisor named Matt Steyerwald, who told the governor and told the Inslee administration a decade ago, if you put the carbon tax in place, this is one of Jay Inslee's own people, you're going to jack up gasoline costs by about 40 cents a gallon. Take a listen now. Jay Inslee tries to answer that question. In the low carbon scenario, remember this is the $12 plus, not very much out in the future. In 2020, it's not very much, 13 cents a gallon more over, over that thing against the baseline of, you know, whatever it is. It could be as high as almost 40 cents by 2035. 40 cents by 2035. Guess what? We're now at 46 cents a gallon, and it's not 2035. It's not even 2025. That was Matt Steyerwald a decade ago. Now let's go to the second Inslee bite, where he's talking about what he thinks he did and whether or not he misled deceptively the public in Washington State and lawmakers in Washington State. Their best estimate was anywhere from two cents to 24 or 25 cents. And they conveyed that to the people uh, in the legislature. And it was not dollars, it was cents. And that's what it turned out to be. That's what it turned out to be. You heard the soundbite with Jay Inslee saying it's going to be pennies. In fact, it may even be a reduction in the cost per gallon of gas. And now he says, oh, it was a few pennies to 24 cents. His own experts said back in 2014, they expected the cost maybe to go to 40 cents by 2035. But here's what they didn't expect. They didn't expect that when they began the carbon auctions last year, that the price wouldn't be $12 a metric ton, which is what they based that estimate on. California was around that range at about that time. 
What was the first carbon tax auction in Washington state? $48 a ton, four times as high as the experts' estimates. And as a result, gasoline prices jumped. And, J and uh, Jay Inslee is still denying that his carbon tax had anything to do with it because they actually assumed that you would slap this gigantic new tax that has brought in $1.5 billion in just about a year and that the companies would simply absorb the cost. In any case, it's a First Amendment Friday, so let's get started the right way with a naysayer by the name of Matt. Matt, what do you and I disagree about today? And welcome oh, to the show. Well, Lars, a very good question. Um, a couple weeks ago, you were talking about a post-law, um, uh, you know, the post-law um, trade school where after law school, um, instead of taking the bar exam, um, people could go to this apprenticeship hands-on uh, no, it's not a post-law um, school. What it is is as of this year, the Oregon State yeah. Bar has said you don't have to take the bar exam. You can do it by going out and doing an apprenticeship. And I thought that was a bad I'm, idea. Oh, I thought it was really good because the bar exam, as I've told you, uh, both, both things are pretty much after law school, and the bar exam is is typically it takes three to four uh, days to take because it's really tough, full days. And good. A lot Shouldn't of times it be they, tough? Shouldn't we insist that lawyers have to show they actually learn something in law school well, before they're, go, before yeah, they're inflicted on the public? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, also, too, but they don't typically pass the first... Uh, the I don't care. The if they don't pass, they don't practice, right? Do you want somebody who didn't learn much in law school to be practicing law? Uh, well, if they learned a lot but had a hard time taking the test, I would... Uh, th that's why I'm... Would you I'm, apply that to commercial drivers? Do you want somebody driving an 18-wheeler who says, well, I couldn't pass the test, but I decided I should just be able to learn while I earn and go out and drive without a license? We don't apply that to anything else. And if you want to get rid of the license altogether, I'm okay with that. Glad to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. Matt, thanks for being a good naysayer. Coming up in a moment, I got an announcement about being pro-choice, and that's coming up next on First Amendment Friday. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. American Humane. Some solid advice from Senator John Kennedy. Look, if you hate cops just because of the cops, the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. This is the Lars Larson Show. 
That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. You bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. I've got a little confession to make on this First Amendment Friday. I'm pro-choice. No, not the baby-killing kind the Democrats are already always pushing for. I favor letting Americans choose which candidates they want in the race for president. Unfortunately, the Democrat Party chooses the tactics of Tanya Harding. If you can't beat your opponent legitimately, get your friends to kneecap him. Lawsuits in 16 states are now calling for removing Donald Trump from primary election ballots. Colorado's Supreme Court did so less than a month ago. In a 4-3 to three decision, the all-Democrat-appointed justices found Trump guilty of insurrection. And get this, they did it without even having a trial or presenting any evidence. The state of Maine went even more informal than that, with its Secretary of State holding an administrative hearing. And then, like the Queen of Hearts in Alice's Adventures, sentence first, verdict afterward, off with his head. In Illinois and Massachusetts just this week, groups of Democrat voters have actually filed petitions formally demanding that their fellow voters, not them, but their fellow voters be forbidden to even see the name of the orange man on the ballot. And liberals call American conservatives radical extremists. Get that. Join me today for First Amendment Friday and celebrate your free speech before the Democrat Party and its friends try to erase that as well. Our question of the day comes in from Jim. Lars, another article on excess government spending. Where does Portland get $15 million for a skate park under the Burnside and, or the Steel Bridge? Second, what does $15 million bucks get us? I can show you countless skate parks around Washington County and other cities that cost a whole lot less. Maybe not with the fancy walkways, overhead covers and such, but come on, $15 million bucks? If this goes on in front of us, what is the real wasteful spending in Portland and the metro area? Mind you, I'm all for a skate park for the kids to hang out in and ride. I did that as a kid as well. I do mountain biking now. We have lots of trails. We make our own hills. Well, I do enjoy going to a bike park, but I pay a hefty $70 a day to ride there. Signed, Jim. And finally, today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really Find out right now. Well, I'm going to give the Daily Grill to all the nitwits in Washington State who've decided that taxpayers should pay for special protection for pot shops, the places that sell marijuana, financial support, and they quote Cannabis Alliance Executive Director Caitlin Ryan saying, we're looking for some meaningful legislation in the 2025 session to help with more comprehensive ways to help people recover after they've been hit, as well as some grants to provide opportunities for marijuana shops to put in things like breezeways, bollards, and armed guards. State Senator Karen Kaiser last year proposed a bill to give excise tax credits to cannabis store owners and other retailers for security upgrades. It died in committee, thank God, because of the high price tag. This year, she's drafting a more targeted program for businesses to install safety bollards, among other things. She says this would include cannabis stores, convenience stores, and those kinds of on-the-street stores that have unfortunately become real targets. Because you know what the thieves do. They steal a car, they run the car through the front of the 
the store, and then they steal what they can get their hands on. It's a terrible problem, and if we had effective law enforcement and courts and cops and prisons, we wouldn't have a problem with it. Instead, the taxpayers are supposed to pay for the bollards and the security guards and all that to service pot stores? I don't think so. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com, comes in from Dan in Bend. Lars, the Bend City Council is considering adding a transportation fee for every house. For single-family homes, they start at 3 bucks a month and then increase over several years to something like 16 bucks a month, more than $200 a year. They don't want to have a tax because that would require giving voters a chance to weigh in. They also want to charge less for multifamily units with more of a discount the more crowded and dense the housing. Huh, probably has nothing to do with a political desire to socially engineer housing choices. Signed, Dan, listening on KBND. Dan, thanks so much. It is First Amendment Friday. Let's go to your calls now at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. First to George. Hey, George, welcome to the program. Thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Okay, you remember the um, uh, McCain funeral? Yes, I do. Okay. That was the uni party. You've heard that term before, right? Yes, and I believe in it. There is a uni party of Republicans and Democrats who are go along, get along. Neither one wants to hold the other uh, responsible, and they all get to hang on to their power, and we get to pay the bill. Hello? Right. Yes, I'm listening, yeah, well, George. Okay, well, what it is here is it's a gang in power. They don't have countrymen. they got servants. And uh, that's when the fix was in for the 2020 election. I'm worried about what the uh, what they're going to do in this uh, coming election. I'm concerned as well, but you suggested to the producer you thought the GOP would, as you said, drop Trump. How would the political yes. party decide to drop Trump when he's going to get the majority of the votes and the caucus support? At this point, nobody's even close to him. Because I think they're going to pull out some kind of dirty tricks. Well, I wouldn't put it past the GOP. It could certainly happen, and we're going to be there to make sure it doesn't happen. Let's go to Bob. Hey, Bob, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? How you doing, sir? Quite well, sir. Thanks for asking. Hey, I just wanted to invite everyone to check out uh, the movement here in Oregon at Oregon4Trump2024.com. Uh, past that, tomorrow is on my mind, sir, January 6th. Yes, and what about it? I've got my own opinions, but I've I've certainly given uh, voice to them. What's your take? Well, we're gonna. Well, I got lots lots of things to say about it. But tomorrow, uh, in Clackamas at the Clackamas Town Center, uh, we are we are having a J six political uh, war. I know, but here's the thing, Bob. I don't mind letting you do a commercial, but tell me what you okay. make of what happened on January six. I think it was a setup. It was it was cr definitely, deliberately definitely created by Nancy Pelosi. So she, I'm I'm actually telling people what I think, which is what I ask you okay. to do. Uh, Jan uh, January sixth. I'll tell you what else. Okay. Um, I think I think that uh, Ashley Babbitt was murdered. Um, I agree. I think that the, the clearly was this is all fabricated. If you paid attention to the barbed wire that was up on the fences that, that was put around the Capitol uh, after the event. He, pardon me. After the event, they put up the big steel wall. Yes, and here's the deal: so they could, so they could continue to fabricate what they needed to fabricate to put it over to the American public. Well, see, I, I think it was Bob. easier than that, Bob. Nancy Pelosi and her Capitol Police got a heads up from the FBI days before January 6th. There is trouble coming. She deliberately yes. 
had the Capitol Police go about the regular order of the day. No extra personnel, no extra security precautions, no extra barricades. She wanted that event. Not to bring she, the military in, yes. Well, and, and Trump offered. He said, I'll bring in 10,000 National Guard, and she specifically refused to let that happen. And then she had her own daughter in her office that day shooting a documentary so they could document what happened that day. Nancy Pelosi needed an excuse to put Donald Trump up for an unconstitutional impeachment proceeding that ended with acquittal in the U.S. Senate. And I appreciate the call. It's First Amendment Friday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, our 24th year of service to the Pacific Northwest. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Another strong take from President Biden on AI and the weather. Helping web tech, the web, the web telescope. My God, what is this? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'll get back to your phone calls and emails. It is First Amendment Friday after all. But if you are concerned as I am about the influence of money in elections. Now, I like it when Americans can give to the candidate of their choice. But I get concerned when major institutions become major forces, especially when they have a dog in the fight. And in this case, I'm talking about America's universities. Men, some of them, a few of them, are private universities, but the vast majority are state institutions. And guess what they do? They have faculty members that are almost universally far-left liberals. And I can back that up with the numbers. And then what do those far-left liberals do? Well, there's a really disturbing trend that universities are becoming some of the biggest political contributors to campaigns through their staff members. And I thought we'd talk about that with Jen Cabani. Uh, you're familiar with Jen because she's been on the show so many times. She's an editor with The College Fix, and since it's her first time in 2024, Happy New Year, Jen. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. So what do we know, and I don't care if you use some specific examples from my neck of the woods, what do we know about the contributions of American academics, the folks who are indoctrinating America's college-age kids? Uh, what are they doing with their political dollars? Well, I can tell you across the nation it's bad, but in Oregon it's much worse. In general, between 60% to 80% of college faculty donations nationwide go to Democrats. Oregon is way above normal. Uh, we're finding 95 to 98% of all political donations made by faculty members in Oregon are going to Democrats. So and, it's, it's, it's a big problem. <laughs> and, and lest anybody think that this is small amounts of money, because I think sometimes, Jen, until we had the most recent experience of seeing uh, Ms. Gay be fired as, as the uh, president of Harvard and found out she was making $900,000 a year, some people might think of these poor academics sitting down there sweating away trying to educate your kids, and, and they're pulling down, you know, salaries that aren't that, uh, aren't very big at all. In fact, college professors make fairly large uh, six-figure, some even seven-figure salaries, and so they have a lot of money to give to politics. So what's happened to their donations recently? Yeah, well, we have, uh, we track, because when you give a political donation, it is public. I think by last count, uh, faculty in Oregon gave $7 million in the last political cycle. So what you're seeing is they are not only trying to affect change by what they teach in the classroom, but they're putting their money where their mouth is and giving to Democrat politicians. So that means that if, if I'm right, in 2020, Democrats 
went to what 1.2 million in giving and then it went from that to seven million dollars so there's been a gigantic increase in giving from from academics from uh, college professors to for lack of a better term uh to to political parties and specifically to democrats yeah because they are true believers i mean you have to understand scholars that teach at your you know oregon universities and across the nation this isn't just a, a vocation or a job i mean they are using their classrooms, using their salaries, using everything they can to affect change, the change they want to see in America. And frankly, it's working. Yeah, if you went back to 2016, the total amount given by the group you were describing, $209,000, and I think less than 500 bucks to the Republicans, but 209000 to the Democrats, then it went up sixfold, 600%, to $1.2 million, and then in the most recent cycle, seven million dollars or three, almost four times that number or more than four times that number. It's incredible, but it just shows how dedicated leftist scholars are to seeing the changes they want to see. They'll, they'll start when you send Johnny or Susie to college and, and hope that they come back with an education and, and possible future. And then they come back and they're depressed and they're angry and they're mad at everyone. And you have your you know, your tuition dollars to thank. And now they're giving all this money to politi politicians that they want to see help continue the change that they've started in the classroom. And speaking of that, when I say they're giving most of their money to Democrats, they actually give to the parties, but they also give uh, to individual candidates as well. And I thought that was kind of instructive when you say, well, who exactly are they giving to? Joe Biden, of course, was one. But then the rest of the list sounds like the far left end of the already left wing Democrat Party. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, then also to uh, I think there was one other. No, it was Liz Warren, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden getting the, the, the lion's share of all of the money. Yeah, I mean, they, this is something that we have to understand, that when you're sending your child to school, I mean, when you're sending them to school in Oregon, it's almost like they're, I've heard it called, it's like attending a Democratic Party summer camp, basically, <laughs> when you're sending your kid to a college in Oregon. But I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, a situation where it's a monoculture, and it's reflected in these numbers where people say, oh, it's exaggerated, you know, that I'm sure there's intellectual diversity, I'm sure there's, and you know, Granted, there's probably a couple of good professors, but the vast majority, the lion's share of these professors are liberal Democrats, and we can track that by, we have the receipts when we look at their voting records, which is public, and we will look at their political donations, which is also public. So how is it that we ended up with such a far-left uh, group of professors at American colleges and universities? Why, why doesn't it reflect the population? After all, don't the universities say they believe in diversity and inclusion? It doesn't sound like they include too many conservatives or Republicans. It, they, de they definitely don't believe in intellectual diversity. And the reason is because I think that progressives this is a, a like a belief system. It's almost like a religion. In some cases, it's like a cult. And so they, they are attracted to the vocation of teaching young minds because they see it as a means to an end to indoctrinate them. You know, they're, they're young, they're impressionable. They believe everything that they're saying. The students don't realize they're not getting both sides. And so I think that the professors that that go into this not to teach and not to instruct, but to actually convince and indoctrinate and brainwash are really doing this almost as like a, a belief system. Uh, they're passionate about it, and you can see by their donations, you see how they vote, and you can see by the way this country is headed, unfortunately, because so many young people are falling for it, hook, line, and sinker.
I just wonder how this works educationally, because I've always been curious about things. I read the left. I read the right. I have my own point of view on things. But I like to read what the other side has to say so that I can say, well, okay, is, uh, are they right about that? And and if I test my own ideas. But when you send your kids to a college that's almost 100% liberal Democrats, and they they exhibit that in, in the things they teach and the way they teach, and they exhibit that in their political donations, which is a real practical way to, to measure it, how intellectually curious can a kid be after four years in that kind of ideological soup? Well, what the professors do is when they when they craft their class and they develop their syllabus and they develop their reading list, they're only choosing the books and the, and the studying that they want the students to do. Instead of giving a balanced approach to any topic, 98% of the reading assignments and the textbooks that the kids are given are all one side. So they, they, they're not given both sides of the story to, to allow the young people to decide which one makes more sense or which one you know sounds better. And it's a death by a thousand cuts, you know, so they get it day in and day out, weekend, Week, week in, month after month, semester after semester, four years of that, and, and, and of one side, and they come out convinced that America is a horrible, racist country. Yeah, and the the only thing that they lose is they end up indoctrinated, but they don't end up being curious, saying, "Well, maybe the other side's right about this," you know, and and looking at other subjects. Because if the professor says there's only one way to look at this point, you know, at this particular subject or this area or this set of policies, there's only one way to look at it, then why in the world would you ever look at the other side? Jen, I, we appreciate the work you do at the College Fix, and we always appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And a Happy New Year. That's Jen Cabani. Now, it's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you happen to be a naysayer, I'm glad to take naysayers. Unlike the colleges and universities, I actually like hearing both sides of an argument. You can also send me emails, talk at LarsLarson.com, and vote in our X poll. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show and on my website at LarsLarson.com. And we accept votes from both sides of the aisle. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. The upcoming American elections promise some provocative politics, but be forewarned, the green agenda may lead to some extreme rhetoric. Die, gas pupper! So prepare yourself by listening to The Lars Larson Show. 
Welcome back to the Lawrence Larson Show. Pleasure to be with you on First Amendment Friday. A couple little updates. Number one, Wayne LaPierre, who I've not always seen eye to eye with, has now resigned as head of the NRA. Now, you're going to see a lot of legacy media saying he's doing that because the NRA is being accused of corruption by who? Letitia James, the attorney, the attorney general for the state of New York, who's as political as the day is long. I don't think he's leaving because of the corruption trial. I think he's leaving because he's kind of long in the tooth and uh, his welcome has been worn out at the NRA and he will be replaced, I hope, by somebody very, very competent since I think a lot of the NRA, not that I haven't disagreed with them from time to time. That's point number one. Uh, number two, Mike DeWine, governor of Ohio. Uh, you know, this was so shameful when Mike DeWine, Republican, and just in case for those of you who don't think I ever criticize Republicans, but the state lawmakers in Ohio said, Let's pass a law, and they did. And the law said, you can't surgically alter children to make them from boys to girls or girls to boys. And number two, you can't give them drugs to stop puberty from occurring. And number three, biological men cannot compete against biological women in sports competition. So Mike DeWine, Republican of Ohio, vetoed that bill. And you say, what the heck kind of Republican is he? Well, guess what? A couple of hours ago today, we found out he just signed an executive order that kind of cuts the baby in half. He did a King Solomon on it. And he said, look, I'm going to go ahead and pass an executive order that forbids transgender surgery on boys and girls. But he will still allow the doctors to give puberty blockers to boys and girls. So in other words, he, under his executive order, it will be illegal for a surgeon to remove a little boy's penis preparatory to turning him into a girl, but it will be okay for the same doctor to give that little boy chemicals that chemically castrate him. Wow. Just, you know, compromise in politics is not always uh, very pretty. And I, it doesn't have to make sense either, even when it comes from Republicans. Let's go to Jerry. Hey, Jerry, welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Oh, good afternoon. Uh, what's on my mind is we need to be lobbying our Secretary of State to get Biden's name off the ballot due to the fact of the aid and comfort he gave to the Taliban in Afghanistan. Do you know the, why uh, I don't want to do that, Jerry? I don't know why. Can you tell me why any American who believes in our representative form of government would want to deny his fellow voters the ability to vote for a candidate? Well, this would actually be a prelude to getting him convicted of treason. Well, he, first of all, they can't bring charges against him until he leaves office. So the key part is get him to leave office, either by being impeached by the Republicans, although he's not going to get convicted in the Senate, or by having voters simply make the choice they already appear to be making, uh, that this November, all of the polls are indicating that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee, Joe Biden will be the Democrat nominee, and Donald Trump is going to mop the floor with Joe Biden in that election. So why not let it happen that way, and why copy the anti-American tactics of the, of the political left? I, I can't think of another way to get the word out that Joe Biden has committed treason. He has done well, more... Hurt our country than Benedict Arnold even. We, we've been talking about it, but until he's not I've president, never heard to, him about. no. But we we talk about it. But every time somebody brings up treason, Jerry, here are two simple reasons. Number one, no sitting president can be charged with a crime. Number one, okay. 
Trump couldn't have been charged with a crime until he left office. That's problem one. Problem two, do you know who would have to bring the treason charge? The only person in America who has the, uh, the authority in our government to bring a charge, a charge of treason against Joe Biden. His name is Merrick Garland, and he's currently the attorney general, and he's as political as the day is long, and he was appointed to his job by Joe Biden. Even if you've got everybody in America to believe that Joe Biden should be charged, until you get the attorney general, Merrick Garland, to say, I will bring treason charges against Joe Biden, and even Merrick Garland can't do that till Joe Biden leaves the Oval Office. I'll tell you what, we've talked about treason on this show and Joe Biden's treason all along. But but it, it would he to to prove treason you have to have him charged. He can only be charged by the Attorney General of the United States. It's a federal charge. It can only be brought by the US Department of Justice, which is currently the Joe Biden Department of Justice. So it's simply not possible. Uh, to your calls now. Let me go to uh, Jason. Hey, Jason, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Well, I've been, you know, hearing about the whole Epstein list and all this stuff, and I heard uh, from a YouTuber uh, an interesting comment, which is I haven't heard anybody talking about whether Biden is on that list or Hunter Biden. We don't know. Have you heard any talk about this? No. Uh, well, y no, because, number one, there was no indication that I saw that Hunter Biden got anywhere near Epstein, although he probably, if he... You know, they were both con men, so it, it, the question would be which one would end up conning which. As far as Joe Biden having anything to do with, well, no, I mean, seriously, when you, if you put two con men in a room, is the contest which one ends up conning the other one out of his wallet? Uh, it, it might be, in a, because Hunter Biden is a first-class con man, and, and Epstein, you know, the, the late Jeffrey Epstein, uh, was a first-class con man as well. Uh, but, but are the names redacted? Yes. Have we seen Joe Biden or Hunter Biden's name in any of the documents, or is there any indication that any one, either one of them is there? Not at this point, but the minute there is, I'll tell you about it. You're listening to First Amendment Friday on the Radio Northwest. The now. Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. To First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. I'm the line dog face pony show. Call 866 Hey Lars. That's 866 Hey Lars. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. Friday. This is. This is. First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Friday. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I love First Amendment Friday. Now, I want to talk politics for a moment and money. And I'm aware that an awful lot of politics is very, very fishy. And some of it gets so fishy, it even gets to the point where you'd call it foul. But we have an example involving Bob Ferguson, who wants to be the governor of the state of Washington. Let's hope that doesn't happen. If anything, he'd be worse, I think, than Jay Inslee. But he's got something that is both foul and fishy. And Jim Walsh, our friend, Washington State Representative Jim Walsh, knows all about it. Jim, welcome back to the program. Thanks for jumping out of a meeting to talk to us. It's great to talk to you, Lars. Yeah, I'm uh, meeting with the uh, local Chamber of Commerce, and right now I'm walking along the shores of the Shealus River, so uh, very much southwest Washington. You've got and, a, you've uh, got a, you've right, got a great environment Ferguson. then to spend first, yes. a few minutes of First Amendment Friday. Tell me about this. I want to make sure I understand this right. So you've got Ferguson. He goes after both chicken and tuna producers as being part of a price-fixing lawsuit, and he manages to score $40 million. What is this supposed to compensate consumers for, first of all? Correct. Uh, he, he, under the Washington State Consumer Protection Act, the State Attorney General Ferguson sued a group of food processors, and, and you said it, they make tuna fish and the kind of chicken you get in a can like tuna fish. And what he said was they were collaborating with each other, they were colluding, they were fixing the prices of cans of tuna and, and canned chicken. And uh, the, the company's uh, group of them said, look, we're, we're not going to fight this, we just want to settle it. And they agreed to pay, the group of them agreed to pay $40 million into a fund in the state of Washington to make up for their alleged price uh, fixing. So the $40 million is sitting there, and the state attorney general uh, decided what he was going to do is create a system where he would proactively send rebate checks out to people, whether or not they'd ever bought a can of tuna fish or chicken. And he worked the timing of sending these checks out till basically just now, where they're being sent out just now, and uh, it, it's raised a lot of red flags about whether he tried to time this to coincide with and support his uh, his current campaign to become governor of Washington. The real problem for him, Lars, is the list that he used to send out the checks is terrible. It, it includes uh, a lot of people who are dead. It includes people's wrong names at wrong addresses. It, it's a it's a huge mess. So a lot of these checks that he's sending out, and they're for 50 bucks or 120 bucks to, to re, basically refund over expensive tuna fish, are going to people who've been dead for 30 years. And it's raising all kinds of questions about what kind of list he used. And, and people are asking, did he use the list of registered voters? And, and they're asking all kinds of questions. Now, Ferguson says he didn't. He, he bought a list from a data broker, but that uh, that's just kind of shifting blame. I mean, he, it was up to him how he sent these checks out. It's just a complete train wreck, Lars. Well, let me ask you this. Did your family get one of those checks? Yes, Lars, he did. I, I, hate, I, I know it's, I, it may be sensitive, Jim, but... This, this but, screwed but, up but, uh, program. Yes, uh, Lars, as some people from Southwest Washington know, uh, my wife was killed in a car wreck about 15 months ago. And sure enough, we got one of these Bob Ferguson fishy rebate checks made out to my wife, who's not with us anymore. 
And that certainly drove home the point that whatever the heck he's doing, it isn't working, and it's not a good use of public resources. Well, let me ask you this again, not to get too personal. I was aware I I was aware that your your late wife received a check, and that's insulting and and probably very disturbing to have happen. But Jim, you're a smart guy. Are you a low income household? <laughs> I, I don't I don't think so. No, you're you're right, Lars. Uh, Ferguson said the checks were targeted at people who lived within 175% of the federal poverty line, and that's clearly not true. And it's not just my household. Many of the people receiving the checks don't fit in that category. So this, this whole program, Lars, it's, it's just a disaster. It's incompetently executed. It, it's, it's mismanagement. It's just amateur hour. Well, and, and let me ask you this, just a step back. They settled this out because a lot of times it's cheaper for a company to settle out than it is to actually fight it in court. Do you think these companies actually got together and, you know, sat down at a Starbucks or something and said, hey, we're going to fix the cost of tuna at 78 cents a can instead of 76 cents a can? Did they actually do this? It wasn't quite like that, Lars, of course not, but there was some correspondence that indicated they were sending each other signals about how, what they were going to be pricing. So, I mean, uh, you know, did it, it, the, the state's Consumer Protection Act is designed to be a, a, basically a, a sharp stick to, to regulate this kind of activity. So I don't, I don't disagree that, the, that Ferguson found something in the issue. Where I disagree with is what he's done with the money is cynical. I believe yep. it's trying to, you know, promote his name as a as a candidate for governor and but more than any Lars, it's just badly executed and it's wasting public money by sending these checks to people who aren't with us anymore i uh, see and i agree with you on that i'm just curious though he goes to experian a private company i'm in favor of the private sector but could bob ferguson have gone to any of the agencies in the state of washington that that help out people of lesser means you know poor people and say, hey, I need a list of poor people. He could have had a Medicaid list. He could have had a TANF list, a, a food stamp list, any of those lists. He could have used any of those if his goal was to go to the less well-off and give them a little, you know, bump from this money uh, because they might have bought it, bought some cans of tuna or chicken. He didn't do that. Why wouldn't he have gone to a state agency and asked for that list? Did he ask for the private company because then he could maybe massage the list and get it to the right political places? That's certainly what it looks like, Lars. I mean, we, we're still looking into exactly the mechanics of how that happened because it was so bad. It, it, it begs the question you ask. Uh, but as the, the point is, you're right. He should have used a list that was already state government property, and it would have been, I imagine, cheaper and more effective to reach people who needed the $50 or $120. But it would have also been more visible to the public and lawmakers, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> that's true. And uh, we, we need more transparency and accountability, especially when we're sending checks out to people with politicians' names on them, Lars, uh, you know, uh, it shouldn't be like this. No, I mean, I mean, if the Democrats are going to cheat, they should they they should cheat a little more. Uh, I guess <laughs> more 
more subtly than just doing out in front of God and everybody. Hey, Experian, I need a list of a whole bunch of Democrats in Washington State, and I want to send them checks out of what is money that would have otherwise, I guess, gone into the public treasury. Uh, Representative Walsh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program, and thanks so much. And and, and I appreciate you talking openly about your experience as a low-income household of receiving a check for somebody who's already passed away. Happy New Year to you. That's Jim Walsh, state representative from Aberdeen. We'll be back in a moment. I want to talk about Joe Biden's new job numbers, and I'll get to more of your phone calls and emails. It's First Amendment Friday on the Radio Northwest Network and the Lars Larson Show. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Constantine Kissin on Hamas. For years now, many of us have been warning that the barbarians are at the gates. We were wrong. They're inside. There are positives as well. I mean, say what you want about Hamas supporters. At least they know what a woman is. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Go ahead. Let's play that KJP soundbite, please. And I'll take a step back for a second. In the last two years, uh, almost three years now, the president has done more, more in the last three years than some presidents had done in two terms, Mika, in two terms. Unbelievable. Now, that is Karine Jean-Pierre. She certainly earns her $200,000 a year trying to explain her boss's many, many gas. She is the press secretary for Joe Biden. And she says this president has done more for Americans than some presidents do in two terms. Well, the new job numbers are out. And in a moment, I want to share a couple of thoughts on what they actually mean. Most of the legacy media is saying, look at this great news for Joe Biden's economy. Well, I'll give you a couple of other pieces of data to go with that, and then you can make up your own mind. In the meantime, it's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. And as always, naysayers go straight to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our X poll, used to be called Twitter. The X poll can be found at Lars Larson Show. You can find the same question at LarsLarson.com. Hey, Jim, welcome to the program. What makes you a naysayer today? And welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, you know, I, I listen to your show as much as I possibly can and agree with you, like, and good Lord, 95% of the time. Thank you. Um, but it's regarding Trump. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm with you. I'd love to see him back in there, but I don't think he has a chance of, of winning. I mean, I look back at 2016, 
and you look at, you know, do you believe it was a nefarious election? 2020, you mean? Or, yes, I'm sorry, 2020. Yeah, 2020 was a fraudulent election, and some of the proof of that, so it's not just me saying that, is an awful lot of the states that were the battleground states changed their election laws specifically to cut down on the opportunities to cheat. Now, if, if, if right. you believed the Biden administration saying it was the most perfect election ever held in American history, bar none, then why would the states, which are empowered by the Constitution to set the, the laws for elections, why would they change their laws if they already had a perfect product? Well, that's, that's kind of my point. It's like, okay, so, and then you believe, you know, I, I watched the 2000 mules, and yeah, there was stuff going on. But the question is, you know, what is going to stop them from doing it again? You no, know, no, okay, number, number mules, one. You've got 5,000 mules. No, but the, um, the number one, number one will be the fact that you have new laws in states that forbid a lot of what was done to cheat in 2020. That's number one. Number two, they won't have the excuse of the pandemic, although I wouldn't put it past Joe Biden and his buddies to try, you know, something else, some kind of health scare, because they've been trying health scares ever since the end of the pandemic. And they keep saying COVID is coming back. And then a few weeks later, they seem to have forgotten about it because nobody's buying that stuff anymore. Right. That's number two. Right. Number three, I think Trump's team was not dialed in as well as it should have been for the cheating that happened, because what happened was they fumbled a lot of the cases. Uh, a lot of them were made by outside parties, not by the Trump campaign. I think this time around, Trump's lawyers are primed. When they start to see cheating going on, like sending out ballots to people who aren't entitled to receive them, sending out ballots by mail where people are not entitled to, re and there was a lot of that that happened in 2020, they're going to walk right into court and say, Your Honor, they're sending out ballots illegally. You can't even allow those ballots to be counted. That should have happened in 2020. It did not. And you could fault the GOP. Right. You could fault Trump. Whatever. The point is, this time, they're ready for it. And here's the other thing. You know, when it's close, you can cheat. And if you notice, the total number of votes in six states, the six states that made all the difference in the Electoral College, do you know what the total number of votes was that differentiated uh, Trump from Biden? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. Okay, so this is six states with decent-sized populations. It was 144,000. It was about an average of about 22,000 votes in each state. Now, that's that's uh -huh. a pipsqueak amount. So you say, and we used to say, if it's close, they can't, if it ain't close, they can't cheat. Uh, because you say, if you have a broad win, well, right now, Trump is already, if they held the election today, most of the polls, when you average them out, say that Donald Trump would slam Joe Biden down by 3%, maybe even 4%. That's a huge lead for because being the incumbent president is always an advantage in elections. Incumbents win very reliably. And Joe Biden has all these headwinds against him. The economy stinks. The government is running up deficits that are twice as big this year as last year. You've got a war going in Ukraine that Joe Biden can't even explain. You had the disaster of Afghanistan. You had all these things going on. And even if they stage a bunch of Antifa and BLM riots this summer, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they've taken that off the books either. Even with all that, Trump goes in. If, if, if the win is tight in some states, they can get away with cheating. But your point is, if the Democrats are certain to win any presidential election because they're going to cheat, 
then it doesn't matter whether it's Trump or somebody else. And then my next right. question would be, if you say, well, Trump can't win because they're going to cheat, then nobody can win. Well, then if you didn't use Trump, who would you use? Because right now, about 58% of Republicans want Donald Trump, including me. I'm a partisan, so I've, I've got a bias. Well. I've got a dog in the fight. We want Trump to be the nominee. Who's his closest competition? Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley down in the teens? So in other words, you'd have the Republican Party telling Americans, not only are the Democrats telling you who you can't vote for, the Republican Party is going to tell you you can't vote for Trump. You have to vote for either Nikki Haley, who's really a terrible candidate, or, or Ron DeSantis. And, and the majority of you, the 70 or 80 percent of you, don't want one or the other of those. Who do you put up to run against Biden? That's sure. That's a sure loss. So why yeah, go that I, direction? I agree with that. I, I, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I just look and it just seems like, you know, they get away with whatever they want to do. You know, the media, you know, the media, all this other stuff. And, you know, a Democrat is never held responsible for anything that I can see. I mean, I, I totally I totally agree with you. Something, but it's like these people are just out of their minds. I mean, you, um, you can find you know, dozens of examples. Like, you know, there are dozens of examples in the last two years where if you're a Democrat and you do something, there's no punishment at all. Hunter Biden, for example, or, or other examples you can give. You're somebody else like the pro-life father who ends up with an FBI SWAT team on his front porch because he shoved somebody during a pro-life rally where an adult was threatening his 12-year-old kid. I mean, and he gets a SWAT team. You know, did they send a SWAT team yeah. to Hunter Biden's house to to raid the documents for a guy who's a thoroughgoing? Yeah, with CNN there and, and all of that filming while it's all going oh, on. Oh, yeah, because CNN gets a heads up so they can be there. You have a, a SWAT raid on Trump's house. You have a SWAT raid on Roger Stone's house. You have all these over-the-top actions, and Americans are wising up to it. And, in fact, Trump didn't do as well as he should have with Hispanics in 2020. Now the polls say Hispanics are tilting toward Trump. Same thing with black voters. I mean, a lot of people have realized Joe Biden made all these promises, and he turned out to be exactly what Kamala Harris said he was, a longtime racist. And now we know that his family was involved in all this criminal activity. I, I think the thing is the headwinds are against him. The Democrats would like to dump him if they could, but they can't figure out how to kick him to the curb and kick Kamala Harris to the curb at the same time and then find somebody other than that nitwit Gavin Newsom who's made a train wreck out of California to run instead of one of the two of those. So Trump's going to win this year. You just watch. Now watch. And the Democrats, yeah, they'll cheat and they're going to lose. Glad to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Reagan knew better, do you? All of it began the first time some of you who know better and are old enough to know better let young people think that they had the right to choose the laws they would obey as long as they were doing it in the name of social protest. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program on First Amendment Friday. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your phone calls and emails. There is a weird phenomenon going on in America right now, and it's being driven by the political left, by Democrats. I know you're going to say, Lars, you don't like anything the Democrats do. Well, uh, generally that's true. But Lately, 
they've gone crazy. 16 lawsuits saying take Trump off the ballot in various states around America. And now we've got a couple of petitions, groups of voters, I imagine not Trump fans, in Illinois and Massachusetts who've actually filed motions to remove Donald Trump from the 2024 ballot. I thought we'd talk about it with somebody who actually has some legal knowledge, and that's Jeff Clark, former United States Deputy Attorney General. Mr. Clark, welcome back. Uh, well, Lars, great to be here. And uh, look, you know, what's going on with this attempt to keep President Trump off the ballot is uh, is truly nonsense. Or or let me paraphrase uh, the famous philosopher Jeremy Bentham. You know, it's, it's hypocrisy on stilts <laughs> because the Democrats are saying that uh, they're the pro-democracy party, that democracy is on the ballot uh, this time in 2024 for the presidential election. But they're the ones who are trying to throw their major political opponent who has the best chance to win and looks like he's going to sweep through these primaries or virtually all of them off the ballot. And that is profoundly anti-democratic. And they seem not to see that the contradiction in what they're doing. And, in, and the Colorado decision is the one that's probably poised to be taken up by the Supreme Court. In fact, there may already be uh, a result on that just inside the walls of the Supreme Court. Um, you know, if they, it's up for conference today, usually, uh, things come up for conference on Fridays and then they're announced on an orders list on Mondays. Uh, but, you know, this is urgent enough. It's possible they could do an earlier announcement, but certainly we should watch for the news on, on Monday. Um, and, you know, we're seeing this replicated as you were noting in, in a variety of states. And then, you know, over the Christmas break, we saw it replicated in Maine, not even by a court, but by this, uh, official, the state uh, Secretary of State in Maine, Shenna Bellows. So it's, it's become epidemic at this point. Okay, can we take both the primary and the general a, a little bit separately? Because I wanted to ask you this. In America, we have a little bit of weird collision between public and private, and that is parties nominate candidates. And that's a private matter. The Republican Party is a private group. The Democrat Party is a private group, although most of their followers work in government. So it gives them an in that maybe Republicans don't have as much. But does does the state have the right, once it's agreed to hold a primary election, to then say to a private group, the Republicans of, say, the state of Colorado, you're not allowed to have that candidate on the ballot? Because, you know, I, I don't know that there would be a mechanism for the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, to hold its own sort of election, so they do it through the state. So it's a little bit of a joint effort between public and private. But uh, once it becomes part of a function of a state to hold a primary election to help a private political party choose its standard bearer, does the state have the right to dictate who they can have on, on the list and who they can't? Uh, so let me do a little bit of on the one hand, on the other hand. Sure. Uh, Lars, so look, um, you know, there are two cert petitions up now in front of the Supreme Court, one from the Colorado Republican Party and another one from Trump himself as the, you know, key candidate in question. Right. And in those cert petitions, one of the arguments actually is that the rights of association of the party are being violated by what the Colorado Supreme Court did. So there's certainly an argument to be made that, uh, you know, that this power that they're purporting to exercise in Colorado doesn't exist because it would trench into the into the First Amendment. But certainly, you know, there's been, and this is the other hand part, um, you know, there's been a history of uh, state law involvement in, you know, uh, political parties. And, you know, it, as many observers have recognized, right, it, it sort of biases toward 
a binary election between a Republican and a Democrat, right? It's a lot harder to get a third party, fourth party, et cetera, off the ground sure. in the U.S. I mean, we do have, you know, Libertarian Party, we do have a Green Party, et cetera, but they tend not to be, uh, to, you know, get a lot of votes. They tend at, at best to be kind of spoilers for one side or the other. So, you know, there there is a role for state law, you know, to play, uh, but I do think it's very serious when you have one party trying to disqualify the major candidate and likely the chosen candidate for the other side. That's a profound new question, and, and uh, we're going to see what the Supreme Court's going to do with it, I think. Okay, Jeff, do you see any likelihood at all that there won't be four justices on the U.S. Supreme Court saying, we need to hear this thing? Uh, do you think there's any chance? I mean, they do shove cases aside and deny the writ of certiorari. So do you see any chance that the Supreme Court is going to say, no, nah, we're not going to hear it. We'll let Colorado decide on its own. I think they're going to hear one of these cases, right? I don't think anyone can predict with certainty exactly which one they're going to hear. And the courts are playing, you know, or the decision makers, since, you know, Shanna Bellows, the main secretary of state, tried to do the same thing. They're playing games with issuing decisions and then immediately staying them, which shows that they don't have the courage of their own convictions, right? If they really wanted to throw President Trump off the ballot, throw him off the ballot and then let ordinary, you know, state processes kick in where basically it requires you to go to the court first and then say, hey, can you stay your own order? You should. This is an important issue. Uh, but, you know, you have to cross a certain threshold of proof on that. you got to meet a four-factor test usually. Um, and then you go to the – if you don't get satisfaction from them, then you go to the Supreme Court. First, you go to the circuit justice, especially if it's really urgent, and then the circuit justice can give you either the relief or usually the circuit justice refers it to the full court and then the full court votes. But sometimes, you know, the, the circuit justice will put in a kind of temporary stay or an administrative stay to hold things over till the full court can consider it. So weirdly, that's not happening here. You have the Colorado Supreme Court and the Maine Secretary of State both putting in stays. And the Colorado stay is really peculiar because it provided that it would automatically be stayed if anyone uh, petitioned for review by the Supreme Court, so-called filing for cert, before January 4th. So you know, that, that continuing stay was triggered by the Colorado Republican Party, not even by Trump. So... You know, you get to ask questions like, why is this happening? Uh, you know, what, why don't they just key it up in the ordinary course and then see what happens in, in, in the state? And I've also seen reference to issues, Lars, about, you know, is Trump already going to be on the ballot essentially? Because, you know, they have to send them, uh, you know, they have to do administrative things before the ballot's actually, uh, ready and the election's coming right up. So it looks like it's a kind of political statement by these, uh, these bodies you know, to just try to dirty up Trump in the course of trying to win the, the election for the Democrats. Well, I, I certainly hope they recognize that they're actually building support for Trump. I'm already a Trump supporter, but there are a lot of people who are saying if that they're going to go after him this way. Let me ask you one last issue. The Colorado Supreme Court determined that Donald Trump was guilty of insurrection. Well, insurrection is a federal crime. Doesn't, yes. doesn't, there, have to, doesn't there have to be evidence and a trial and due process for the Colorado Supreme Court to declare a person guilty of a federal crime? Yes. And, uh, you know, the issue of the lack of due process with this super hurry up ruling, which even violated Colorado law, you know, there are time limits that weren't even met. They wouldn't let President Trump, uh, you know, depose witnesses or really put on his own witnesses. It was all structured 
to be a one-way railroad based on just taking the January 6th report as a given, uh, as if it, that was a neutral process. And it's not. Um, and, you know, the, the whole issue uh, that you're raising is also an issue of whether the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is self-executing or not, or whether it essentially is something that can only be confirmed by a follow-on legal process like bringing criminal charges under federal law for insurrection. Which never happened. That's Jeff Clark. Jeff, thanks very much, and Happy New Year to you. Jeff is a former U.S. Deputy Attorney General. We'll be back in a moment. It's First Amendment Friday. We'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. Check me out on Instagram. And, of course, check us out on all other social media as well. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Elon Musk sums up America's government. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. This is the Lars Larson Show. There's an extremist movement who does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. All of us are being asked right now, what will we do to maintain our democracy? History's watching. The world is watching. The most important, our children and grandchildren will hold us responsible. That's Joe Biden in his very first campaign ad, effectively condemning about half of America for supporting Donald Trump, for supporting the rule of law, and for supporting doing what's right. And, of course, he talks about us being a democracy. We are, in fact, a federalist republic with elements of democracy. We still vote uh, to elect our representatives. But Joe Biden is starting off on entirely the wrong foot by saying, I know, I can win. I'll tell Americans, all those other people are bad, except all those other people are half or better of the entire population. So if that's the way he's starting, you can only imagine where this is going to go between now and the fall of, of this year. Glad to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. Always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. This segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com. For an instant offer to sell your home immediately, no showings, no hassles, you pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. And our ex-poll today, if you were on the jury, would you convict a father for shooting the man who beat the man's daughter? And I would say, no, I wouldn't convict him. Now, I think that's going to be a tough choice. People are going to say, well, you can't let people take the law into their own hands. I would argue that as long as there's an alternative 
And if the alternative is, call the police, except the police have their hands tied and they've been defunded. Number two, they can't refer things for prosecution because too many prosecutors in America have simply said, we're not going to prosecute for all kinds of cockamamie social justice reasons. And courts that won't convict and prisons that won't imprison. When you're in a situation like that, effectively, the system has told you we're going back to the old days. And if that's the way it is, so be it. Today's Twitter poll or X poll found at Lars Larson Show and brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let me go first to Randy. Hey, Randy, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. I'm just here in Puyallup, and uh, I just want to say that my family is immigrants, came from Canada, from everywhere else. But I'll tell you what, the problem is my dad called me, he's not political, he called me and he says, hey, I got this check, what do you, what do you think of this? It's $120 from, well, Bob Ferguson. I'm like, well, dad, that's kind of a deal. I didn't know how to explain it to him, but I guess my point is he's getting free stuff for stuff he doesn't need. He had a family business that he sold, he's well off, I don't understand why He's getting that check. He doesn't understand why he's getting that check. What do you think? I, I think you're absolutely right, number one. Number two, he's getting the check, and your father should understand this. Not, not, but, but he should understand this is the game. Bob Ferguson wants to buy his way into the governor's mansion in the state of Washington, and that's why he's sending checks out. And I think, as I, as I talked to the state rep earlier this hour, the way Ferguson did it, we won a, a, a settlement, $40 million, from these chicken and tuna processors because they, they may have colluded. In fact, maybe they did. That's why I asked Representative Walsh, do you think they actually did collude? And it sounds like they did. They were doing some price fixing. So they agreed to settle out, pay $40 million, and Bob Ferguson takes it on himself to decide how that money gets distributed. So he, he doesn't go, he says he wants to only give it to people who are needy people, you know, 175% of the poverty rate. Well, I can think of about a half a dozen state agencies in Washington state or any state that could give you a list of the less well-off in the state. You could go to the department that does unemployment because they know what people, you know, what people have put down as their salaries or their income. He could go to the welfare department, the folks who hand out food stamps, Section 8 housing. He could go to any of those. And you have to ask yourself this. If Bob Ferguson could have gone to all these state agencies and said, give me a list of the poor people in the state. I'm going to send them a check from these tuna and chicken processors to pay them back, you know, give them a little bit of compensation because they were ripped off allegedly by the tuna and, and chicken processors. Why wouldn't he go to a state agency? And Randy, I think that now I'm not a lawyer, but I think the answer is really clear. If he had gone to a state agency, it would have become public very quickly. And reporters could have gone to those agencies and said, did you give him the list? What was the list you gave him and who did checks go to? Because I think Bob Ferguson monkeyed around with this politically. If he had, instead he went to Experian, which is a credit rating agency, and said, give me a list of poor people. So your dad gets a check and he's not poor. And Jim Walsh's late wife gets a check even though she's been dead for 15 uh, months. God bless her. But, you know, she gets That's a check great. and they're, they're not poor. Why would, why would they go out to those people? I think Bob Ferguson targeted those checks politically. And if he didn't, he needs to come out and explain why didn't he go to the very state agencies that know exactly who the poor people in Washington state are. 
And how'd they get the people that they sent them to? That's the question. Yeah, and why did you have so many dead people on the list, for God's sake? Not just Jim Walsh's <laughs> wife, but I've been hearing from people for the last week or ten days while we lined up that interview, um, you know, over the Christmas break. And, and, I, and, and they're saying, you know, my dad got a check and he's been dead for ten years, but we received the check. None of that makes sense unless you throw in the political component. If you're running for governor and you want a lot of people to think of the name Bob Ferguson and think, yeah, that's the guy we got the check from. Maybe he should be governor. Uh, you know, it seems crazy, and I think it is crazy, and Bob Ferguson needs to offer up an explanation and why he didn't go to state agencies and say, who are the poor people in the state? You know, the, the kids and families that are on the free lunch program and all the rest of that stuff. He could have done it. He cheated. I think he's trying to buy his way into the governor's mansion, and you've got the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Are you ready? To First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. I'm the line dog face pony soldier. Call 866 Hey Lars. That's 866 Hey Lars. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. Friday. This is. This is. First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Friday. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and uh, happy First Amendment Friday to you. I have to tell you this, I feel pretty strongly about it, and I always like to disclose my dog in the fight. They will get my chainsaw, they will get my lawnmower, and they will get my string trimmer when they pry them from my cold, dead fingers, as far as I'm concerned. Except that State Representative Amy Whalen. I think she's from uh, oh, one of the more expensive neighborhoods in the Seattle metro. But she's got this House Bill 1868 that's being talked about a lot that actually provides for jail terms if you operate outdoor power equipment after January 1, 2026, uh, rated at 25 horsepower or below. Yeah, all the details are in there. But can you imagine sending people to jail because they have the temerity to operate a backpack blower or a, you know, powered blower of some kind, a string trimmer, or a lawnmower, even a riding lawnmower? They're all going to be banned if Representative Amy Whelan, member of the Democrat Party, has anything to say about it. Mark Harmsworth knows the issue. He's director of the Small Business Center at Washington Policy. Mark, how are you? Uh, good. Uh, Lars, thanks for having me on today. 
Happy New Year to you. And does this thing have any, I had somebody call yesterday and say, does this thing have any chance of passing? And I said, well, given as lunatic left wing as the legislature in Olympia seems to be lately, yeah, it might just get passed into law. Uh, it is possible. I mean, the fact it was introduced and it's got multiple sponsors on it kind of shows you where the, the head intellect is of uh, the ruling party right now in Washington, especially after what we've just seen from the speaker yesterday with the six initiatives and the opinion on that, too. Oh, oh so uh, by, by the way, Mark, I, wasn't it uh, Brandy Cruz, we'll give her credit for getting that comment out of Speaker, it's, it's K Kiggins, isn't it? And uh, and this is a, a House Speaker who, when she was asked about one of the most notorious laws, sixteen thirty nine, said, "What's that?" She apparently be clue she appeared to be clueless about about even the laws of the state of Washington, even though the, she's the Speaker of the House in the state of Washington. It's kind of dim witted, I thought. Well, it's tough to understand every single piece of legislation that goes through, especially when you see the type of stuff that's coming through, like 1868, you know, this ban on gas-powered um, uh, power equipment. I mean, it, it goes as far as banning mulchers, edgers, wood chippers, stump grinders, pressure washers, snow blowers. So good luck, Eastern Washington, and he's in Oregon there. Tampers and compactors, and basically, uh, it's the whole green agenda. They're trying to do this, and uh, I've reached out to some of the smaller landscaping companies because you know, if you buy an electric mower and you've got a small yard, it's probably not a big deal because you're going to be able to mow it on one battery charge. But if you're a landscaping company, a small business, it's going to be incredibly hard to make this work. And as I thought, when I spoke to the small business owner, he basically said, I've got 25 employees. This bill would cost me about $1.6 million. I'm out of business. He says, I don't know how I'm going to survive if they run this through. As soon as my equipment wears out, I've got to replace it. And he said, he can't afford to do it. So this really is a very nasty little bill. And um, it's, it's just against what we believe in as America. And, and just so we're clear, the bill says it bans all equipment, gasoline-powered equipment, produced after January 1 of 26. So I guess that would leave all of that equipment that's currently in people's hands in their hands till it wears out, which means it's not likely to have a decided effect for a long, long time, right? Yeah, so for the the average homeowner who's using a, a gas-powered mower and the, and they're, they're only putting a few miles on it, it's, they're not going to have to worry about this for a, for a little while. But you can imagine the, the local landscaping company that employs a lot of minimum wage and, and, and lower-income folks um, with, out there, they're going to have to replace their equipment a lot faster because it wears out a lot faster. So you're going to see these um, these landscaping companies either go out of business or have to significantly increase the cost of the services they provide to cover the cost of the replacement equipment as it wears out. Well, one of the numbers you shared that I thought was really telling, uh, riding lawnmowers are not cheap anyway. I mean, it's, uh, the, the, I think the bottom end uh, John Deere riding lawnmower. If somebody's got a larger yard, I used to have a larger yard and I had one of those and it lasted about 16 years. But they're they're like two or three thousand bucks. But you said that if you want to buy the battery version, it's two or three thousand dollars more than that? Yeah, I went through the John Deere website and compared the battery equivalent for capacity and size and it's not even that 
close because the the battery equivalent can't mow as much. And so if you have a if you have a piece of ground that you have to mow that's greater than the, basically an acre and a half, two acres, you're going to run out of battery, and no one's going to be able to afford to buy two batteries for a riding mower. And now you start thinking about these landscaping companies. You see them on the sidewalks. What are they going to do? Are they going to have to carry multiple mowers, multiple batteries, just to make it through the day? And so the cost of this is it's just going to be huge. And for the environmental impact that it claims it's going to now save the environment, it really isn't there. It's not even a blip on the radar. I mean, if they eliminated every single piece of outdoor power equipment tomorrow, which this isn't going to do, even going into effect January of 26, I mean, how much of it, how much output of, of pollutants or CO2 or whatever is there from all of that equipment all, all put together? Nobody knows, and neither do the writers of this legislation. They don't know either. They're just guessing, and they, this is really just feel-good legislation that, that they feel like that by doing this, we're going to save the world from all these evil weed whackers that are out there that are gas-powered. And it's just, it, it, it's a ridiculous piece of legislation. Seattle tried to do it with leaf blowers, and um it, you know, it just costs everybody lots and lots of money. The only people that are happy are the Chinese lithium mines that are producing all these batteries for us. Well, and Amy Whalen, I mean, what, what actually explains this? She used to be the mayor of Kirkland, so I, I think she still lives in Kirkland. That's her district. But is she really going after this more because people don't like the sound of a leaf blower at 8 o'clock on, on Saturday morning? Well, the difference between um, a gas leaf blower and an electric leaf blower, there's only about an 8 to 10 decibels difference in the, in the amount of noise. So, um, and, and in fact, even the electric ones have got much higher pitch. So that really does annoy people. It's much more shrill when you hear it anyway. So you're not going to be able to tell the difference between an electric blower and a gas-powered blower, especially at 6 o'clock on a Sunday morning, which they shouldn't be doing that. Just out of courtesy, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. But you're not going to be able to tell the difference even when it's out there. So, again, it's it's just... It's a feel-good piece of legislation, and the legislature should put it down. Well, and the other thing about this, Mark, is you mentioned the cost issue. I'm sure the people in Kirkland probably have the money to pay the extra tab to have their lawn crew come and do it. But who it's really going to hit is the people just below that who are going to say, well, I used to have a company come by and you know do all the, all the landscaping work at their business or at their home. And now the landscaping company says, with all these new requirements, we're going to have to jack up the price considerably. The elites in places, you know, the, the nicer neighborhoods in Puget Sound are still going to be able to afford it. And the rest of the people will simply be cut out of it. And a lot of people are going to find themselves without a job where they had a landscaping job before. That's Mark Harms with Mark, Happy New Year to you, and thanks so much for the time. Director of the Small Business Center for Washington Policy. Coming up, I'll get to your phone calls and emails, and it turns out that at least some of America's most radical liberals really do believe in walls. We're going to take a trip down to Berkeley. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and First Amendment. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. 
You could sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at equity advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Lars has welcomed naysayers for 27 years, but occasionally... Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. We just got word the Supreme Court of the United States has announced it will take up the case involving the state of Colorado, I think both illegally and unconstitutionally, throwing Donald Trump off the primary election ballot in the state of Colorado. Word came down, the Supreme Court will decide whether or not President Donald Trump is eligible to run for president. The Supreme Court found uh, Colorado found that he had violated the insurrection clause. And they did it without a trial, without evidence, without anything else. No due process. Throw all that stuff out. The court comes down with a decision. We had heard that this might be the case. Uh, we had heard that they might actually issue their decision to hear the case today. Uh, they will actually hear the case on February the 8th. So they're going to hear it just over one month from now, which starts to push all kinds of timelines. Although, here's one of the things I hope. The Supreme Court says we'll hear the case, we'll hear it. They've got to give the lawyers some time to write up the briefs on both sides. So that's between now and February, just a hair over one month from now. And they will then have to hear the case and fairly quickly decide it so they can meet the timelines of all the various states where there are challenges to Donald Trump being on the ballot. And uh, the Colorado decision only came about two weeks ago, December the 19th. And what they said was Donald Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election results that led to the January 6th Capitol riot. They said that's the proof that he violated Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which was written in particular aimed at people who had taken part in the Civil War, saying if you took an active role in an insurrection against the United States government, you were disqualified from running for federal office, but also state office at the same time. And it says you're barred from, from office because you violated your oath of office and engaged in insurrection. They managed to come up with this decision about Trump without actually giving him any kind of due process. Well, Trump's attorneys were arguing this. In our system of government, the people, of the people, by the people, and for the people, Colorado's ruling is not and cannot be correct. The question of eligibility, about who is eligible to run for president of the United States is the decision that is, well, you have to meet the minimum criteria, three requirements of the U.S. Constitution. But that should be, it's properly reserved for Congress and not the state courts to consider and decide. So uh, the court has its hearing or has its uh, conference on Fridays, and ordinarily they would have announced on a Monday what they plan to do about that. But... Uh, what they argued was by considering the question of President Trump's eligibility and then barring him from the ballot, the Colorado Supreme Court arrogated Congress's authority. I think they're absolutely right about that. 
have also pointed out that they appear to have found him guilty of insurrection, a charge, a criminal charge in America, because insurrection is a federal crime, uh, a charge that's never been brought by the Department of Justice. And believe me, I think that if the Joe Biden Department of Justice thought they had a snowball's chance of bringing a successful insurrection charge against Donald Trump, they'd have done it. I mean, Joe Biden and Merrick Garland would have brought those charges against Trump. They did not. The FBI would have investigated and found evidence that Donald Trump was involved in the insurrection. The FBI found to the contrary that he was not involved in the insurrection. And the other thing you should be aware of, just you know, my take on this, is that what Donald Trump did was he questioned the results of the election. Now, he questioned it forcefully and vigorously, but he did nothing more or less than what Joe Biden has done what Hillary Clinton has done, what Barack Hussein Obama has done, what Stacey Abrams of Georgia have done, and so many other Democrats who have argued that various elections were invalid and that the winner of those elections was invalid. They did it and then some when it came to Trump about the 2016 election, and yet not one of them was charged with insurrection. And then to try to connect the events of January 6th, tomorrow is the anniversary, but the events of January 6th saying, because Donald Trump questioned the results of the elections, we got a riot at the Capitol. What would you think if somebody made the argument that because, because Joe Biden won in 2020, uh, that the result was rioting and disturbances in American cities, both in the summer of 2020 and in the summer of 2021? It's a crazy argument to make. And to then say, well, then he's guilty of insurrection. We can decide that without doing anything else. So the U.S. Supreme Court just now has been has decided that it will hear the case, that the case will be heard on February the 8th. Uh, the, the lawyers will have a month to be able to put their arguments together. And then the Supreme Court, which notoriously does not decide cases very quickly at all, is going to have to come up with some kind of decision fairly quickly to tell the rest of the country because you have 16 states where lawsuits have been brought. In fact, the most recent ones in Massachusetts and in Illinois saying we want to take Trump off the ballot. It, I mean, to, for, for one thing, it says it speaks to me about the level of desperation of the political left in America. They'll all tell you that Donald Trump is a horrible candidate, except he's winning. They'll tell you he shouldn't be on the primary ballot, except that at this point, if the Republican Party was making a decision about who to have as its candidate for office, which is a private organization and a private decision about who should represent the GOP in America as the candidate for president in 2024, that decision would easily go to Donald Trump because he's got about 58% of the support in some polls even more than that. And Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, nowhere near that. So you can see that the Democrats are desperate to keep him off the ballot because that's their only hope. Now, whether or not there's a chance that the U.S. Supreme Court would say, yeah, sure, Colorado, Maine, Illinois, Massachusetts, you can all take him off the ballot and tell the voters of those states you don't have any right to vote for this candidate. That's about as un-American as anything I can really imagine to say you're not allowed to vote for him. That's nuts. And it tells you that the Democrats have run out of options. And it does make me concerned. I actually had a, a caller to the show the other day 
who said, what are they going to do next? And I said, all of the other possible options to the Democrats as they get more and more desperate are really, really, truly ugly. I hope that Donald Trump has great security around him. I am a fan of Donald Trump. I believe that he made a great president. He will be a great president starting in January of next year. But could there be people out there who get desperate enough to try to take some other kind of illegal action to stop him? Yeah, I think that's very much a possibility. And we should consider whether or not Joe Biden, who basically went crazy today, gave a speech, probably end up talking about it more on Monday than today because I haven't had a chance to see the whole speech. It happened while I was on the air. But you've got Joe Biden who's out saying, all these people who disagree with us, they're, uh, they're people who don't believe in our values. Well, the values of the Democrat Party? Yeah. If you want to talk to me about the values of the Democrat Party, you mean the people who believe that if you only have enough government and enough taxes, that everything will be great? The ones who believe that Joe Biden has done a fantastic job with the economy, that America is better off today? Just ask yourself about your own situation. Are you better off today than you were in the middle of Donald Trump's term of office? Or are you better off with uh, the kind of America we're seeing right now? I think I know what my answer to that would be. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. If you're a naysayer and you think that Donald Trump should be kept off the ballot, glad to take that naysayer call as well. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our X poll on our website as well. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. I got to tell you something. The, uh, I think there's a reason that Joe Biden and the Democrats are so panicked that they're throwing everything they can at Donald Trump. Take him off the ballot, disqualify him legally. Let's see if we can get him. I mean, just uh, today, Letitia James of New York is saying that she wants a $370 million fine against Donald Trump for alleged corruption in the city of New York. In other words, everything they can come up with to try to stop him, except, of course, a good candidate in the form of Joe Biden. So I thought we'd talk to Avita Duffy, who's a staff writer at The Federalist and co-founder of the Chicago Thinker, about some of the changes in who plans to vote for Joe Biden in the coming election. Avita, welcome back and Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. Sounds like uh, Slow Joe, as I call him, has uh, has not doing so well among uh, a, whole, a whole bunch of groups, including young people, young women, and uh, uh, both Black Americans and Hispanic Americans. He's he's losing ground in all those areas. Yeah, I think the the foundational reason with all these groups is is a hundred percent the economy. I think people feel the difference with what 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 was their. Uh, what, what, what their finances were like under Trump versus what they've been like with Biden. And for young people especially, they're going out into the world, they're starting lives and families, trying to buy a home, advance in their career, and that has become extremely difficult under Bidenomics. And then you have another thing with young people, which is the conflict in, in uh, Israel and with Hamas. Many of them, because they've been indoctrinated in, in their young adult years in college, have viewed this conflict exclusively through the prism of Mark the presser and because they have this very narrow view of the world um they've applied it to this conflict and and, and 
view the Palestinians as the perpetual victims, and Joe. Uh, you know, Avita, it sounds like your phone cut out for a moment, and I missed a couple of your comments because you were saying they're concerned. They've been indoctrinated to the point of view that says there are oppressed people and oppressors, and the oppressed people are always right in whatever case, and that would include the the Gazans and and Hamas. I missed a bit because I think your phone dropped out. Yes, no worries. I, I hope it's better now. But but yeah, that that's the gist of it. And so I think that is another huge reason why a lot of uh, young people are really um, disenchanted with the Biden administration. Uh, not they don't you know, it dropped out again, Evita. I'm sorry, it dropped out again. But I, I'm curious. Before we lose you all together, I wanted to ask you about this. The drop seems really dramatic. I mean, June of last year to the end of last month, so the end of December, six months, he has 18 to 29-year-old likely female voters, who I would guess as a, as a group would be more likely to vote Democrat. They went from 60% support of Biden to 42% in just six months. I mean, this is this is an extraordinary number. Uh, young, young women are some of the most, is one of the most reliable voting blocks Democrats uh, have, and that they are, are swinging, maybe not to Trump, but against Joe Biden uh, is really, really bad news for Democrats. Even if they stay home from the polls, it could be enough to change this election cycle because of how drastically they went in support of Joe Biden in 2020, which we know was such a, a close race. Well, and in fact, when I looked at younger voters, 18 to 29-year-old men and women who said they voted in the 2020 election, only 49% say they definitely will be voting in the next election, even though they turned out in droves for the last election. What? What is that, again, just primarily the economy? You know, I think we're, I think we're going to have a few phone problems. Joel, see if we can get uh, Avita to a better line. And in the meantime, let me pull up Norman. Hey, Norman, welcome to First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Hey, I just heard uh, your comment about the Supreme Court taking up this case uh, in a month from now. Yep. And what I was wondering is, do you think that since uh, Donald Trump appointed some of the justices that the Democrats will try to say they have to recuse themselves. I know he was confirmed by Congress, but would they uh, try to pull that out of their hat to try to say they have to recuse themselves because there's a conflict of interest there? Well, I, I'll tell you right now that Democrats say all kinds of crazy things, and they may make that argument. Well, that's but, but but based on that argument, you, you then every time there's any case that involves a president, or in this case a former president, then then large numbers or at least a couple of the justices would have to recuse themselves. I don't think that's going to be a good legal argument, but I'm not a lawyer. I'll tell you what, we'll ask a lawyer and see if we can find out. Evita, did we get to, uh, to a more solid line? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. So tell me this. What's, um, wh what do you think Joe Biden does? Uh, I mean, he gave a speech today, and he apparently he was kind of on fire, as much as Joe Biden can ever be on fire, uh, about some subjects. But he seems to be willing to condemn large segments of Americans, you know, by saying these are people who don't agree like us, except that he's, by his description, he's talking about maybe half or better of the entire American population. 
Yeah, so he, he's reverted now to really divisive and, frankly, frightening rhetoric to say, you have to vote for me because your friends and neighbors who are more conservative, they're actually dangerous. They're domestic terrorists. If this is what his administration has been doing since he took office. The DOJ has been not only targeting Trump, but anybody on the right. You're a pro-lifer. You're a traditional Catholic. Joe Biden uh, is after you. But now he's putting it in much more explicit words as we're coming to the election, into this election cycle uh, to make things clear for his voters. I frankly don't think that that divisiveness is going to be uh, is going to be very effective with people. I think that they're sick of that. They hear they they've been hearing all the time how how awful uh, and divisive Trump is, and now they think it's going to be a winning strategy with Biden. I'm not sure if that's so true. And the other thing is, Joe Biden has made a lot of promises to young people. He has said, "I'm going to." forgive your student loans, the economy is going to look up. He hasn't pulled through for them, and I think a lot of them are, are really uh, upset and, 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 frankly, feel betrayed by, by him uh, and his promise to be a radical leftist with this, with this conflict in Hamas and Israel. He, he has really, really uh, not, not pulled through with, for young people. I mean, so what's he going to do? Uh, can he throw an American ally, a good American ally like Israel, under the bus and say, OK, we're not going to support them in their fight against terrorism while still making noises about terrorism elsewhere, saying, I don't approve of terrorism unless it's in Israel, in which case it's OK to mollify the Palestinian supporters on the Democrat side of the aisle? No, I mean, he, he is in a terrible position because he has he has donors and politicians and supporters of his who want him to support Israel, which is what the United States has traditionally done. But then he has young people who are a solid voting bloc, as Israel used to be, who are very much on the side of the Palestinians, who believe that America is aiding genocide in Israel and Palestine. And, and so these are these are really extreme, uncompromising sides that Joe Biden has to try and appease both. I don't see how, how it's going to work. I, I really, he's in a very tough spot. The best he can hope for, I think, is hopefully come, you know, the election cycle, come November, people have a short memory, and maybe the conflict will be solved, and America will have removed itself from the situation. But unless that happens, and it happens soon, uh, he, he is in trouble. I'm talking to Evita Duffy, who's a staff writer at The Federalist, co-founder of The Chicago Thinker, last one because it got less than a minute. So tell me this. Are you confident Joe Biden is going to get the nomination from the Democrat Party, or do they find with all his troubles it's better we got to kick him to the curb between now and summer? I am confident Democrats, on, uh, Republicans, we have a lot of complaints about the establishment right, but they actually have have allowed the people to, to decide their candidates much more freely than Democrats have. Democrats have a stronghold in their party. They are They have done everything they can to destroy RFK, the only real formidable candidate against Joe Biden. He's not going to be on the ballot. Um, he's actually, you know, he's rescinded himself and is trying to run as independent. Joe Biden is going to be the candidate. The only thing that will stop his uh, re-election effort is, frankly, if he dies in office. Yeah, and that's that is a, is a possibility. That's Evita Duffy from the Chicago Thinker and the Federalist. Evita, thanks very much, and Happy New Year to you. I'll get to your calls in the next segment. It's a pleasure to be with you. First Amendment Fridays are always fun. 866-HEY-LARS. Emails talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? 
Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program on First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers go first at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. This segment brought to you by the home power generating folks at Protect Power. Make sure your loved ones are safe when the power goes out, and it does go out. 541-ONAGEN. That's called 541-ONAGEN. Get this. Uh, at the TSA, I know not all of us are necessarily fans of the TSA. We understand why they established it. I argued back at the time of 9-11 we ought to make it uh, a private sector company instead of a federal agency. Well, now the TSA Assistant Federal Security Director, one of the top brass in the TSA, has been arrested the arrest apparently happened a few days after Christmas, just broke publicly today, has an arrest warrant because it claims that she and an accomplice by the name of Delroy Chambers Sr. exploited a relative suffering from dementia by falsifying documents in their name. Unbelievable. Florida authorities say the duo forged signatures on a quitclaim deed. You know what those are? Real estate. Transferring ownership of a property in the relative's name over to themselves. The relative whose property was transferred could not have signed the deed because the individual was found to have been in Atlanta on the date that was listed. Sounds like exploitation of an elderly person. And now one of the top people in the TSA and the Joe Biden administration is now under arrest. To your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Chris, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, uh, frequent caller, long-time listener, love your show. Just got a Thank couple you. things. I would love to just politely ask you to correct yourself when you talk to the current Secretary of State and refer to her as the interim Secretary of State. Remember, she was not elected. She was appointed yeah. by one person who was also illegally elected, in my opinion. I and agree, no Tina Kotak. Yep. Yeah. Now, the other question I have is, why didn't they give it to either Kim Thatcher or the um, the other guy who uh, almost beat Fagan in the primary was a guy from Beaverton here? And um, I'm surprised that Fe Chris, the governor Chris, has... Chris, why would you be surprised that a Democrat governor who has the ability to, to do that appointment would not pick a Republican? Come on. In, in Oregon, a one-party state, and, and a Democrat governor with all Democrat elected officials is going to pick somebody from the other party? Unless that was, and it wouldn't be a bad requirement to make if you said you have to replace uh, the person with somebody from the same party. Oregon has chosen not to do that. 
But that would never happen. And by the way, I don't think Tina Kotek was legally elected either. I think she used half a million dollars in stolen money that was illegal, illegally contributed to the DNC. But you've got a Democrat attorney general in Ellen Rosenblum who isn't going to chase that thing down. And so none of that stuff should, should surprise anybody at this point. Let's go to uh, Kurt Lucas. Hey, Lucas, welcome to First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? I've been associated with the Navy, uh, now Navy Reserves, but for over 13 years now. And i got to say, Thank I've you. not seen our recruitment numbers this low uh, ever. And I think it's a multi-faceted uh, issue. Uh, but I'm looking at the long-term consequences of lack of military service as well as civil service and other, um, like, uh, first responders, uh, Peace Corps, uh, this new generation doesn't seem motivated to get involved in such things. Well, what do you think about that? I think the most immediate, uh, there's, there's one problem that predated Joe Biden, so I'm not going to blame everything on him. But I was talking to one of the, uh, gosh, what was he? I think he was a, a colonel. Yeah, I don't think he ranked any higher than that. But he said, look, in terms of recruiting, about 77% of American high school uh, high school graduates. So we graduate about 3 million high schoolers every year in America. And you say, okay, they're all potential members for our military. No, they're not. He says about, and the number I recall is 77% of them are ineligible for military service. Ineligible because of physical condition, uh, weight in some cases, and also disqualified by criminal activity and drug activity. So you've got those things that were working against the military recruitment of, of, of an all-volunteer military before Joe Biden showed up. And then Joe Biden showed up, and under his woke leadership, uh, they have transformed the military into a big social experiment, saying we're going to fund travel for abortions with Pentagon money. We're going to allow people who are transgender, uh, even though that doesn't seem to be in keeping with you know, fulfilling the mission of the U.S. military seems very, very disruptive. And a lot of other policies that led a lot of really good young Americans to say, I'm either not going to consider going in or I'm not going to consider staying and making this my career. So you've got all those things working against recruitment. You start with, you know, not quite 80% of the population not eligible to serve. And then you say, and then we're going to make it unpopular for the very people who might have otherwise gravitated toward a career or at least a term of service in the military like you. Oh, that's absolutely true. Uh, uh, there was a line of people getting out of the reserves even uh, after Afghanistan went down the way it did. A lot of people just looked at it. What was the purpose of all the service that I've done? Because the reserves supplemented significantly throughout the entire conflict. Yeah, and that's why we appreciate people's service. But when you see real bonehead decisions being made by either Joe Biden or people chosen by Joe Biden to pull out of Afghanistan in ways that even... You know, even some of the advisors told President Biden at the time, he was telling the public, it's not going to fall apart fast. We got lots of sound bites of Joe Biden saying, oh, no, I've been assured that Kabul is going to stay together for a period of time. And then he decided to remove the military before he removed all the Americans that he left behind there. And that didn't make any sense either. Lucas, thanks for your service in uniform. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? 
Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.